and going out into the landscape, actually being there and feeling the earth beneath your feet and seeing the clouds forming across the hillsides and just paying attention to what's going on around you and, and being consumed by the present moment and forgetting everything else that's going on in your life. Welcome to the Flying Fruit Bowl, a platform dedicated to the discussion and exploration of art and the creative process. And this is the first part of a two-part episode of my conversation with Steve Roberts, recorded in February 2023. Steve is a fine artist based in Cheltenham in the UK, whose work focuses on capturing the energy and atmosphere of the landscape and is often working on plein air out in the elements. Steve reinterprets the world in front of him through the use of thick layered brushstrokes, creating an image that is both bold and sculptural. We'll start where I start with everybody, which is just tell us a bit about yourself and how you became an artist. Okay, so my name is Steve Roberts, probably says that on the uh, on the front, on the podcast. Yeah. So I became an artist, that's an interesting question. I suppose I've been thinking about this a bit and I think it's been a process across the whole time of my life, but particularly the last two years, I would say that has been the most important process in becoming an artist. So so I've always drawn and painted from from a young age, um, but it's only in the last couple of years where I've really kicked on and really committed all of my time to painting and taking it seriously as a business to a, a greater extent than I was doing before. So I, I started, I went to Cardiff School of Art in 2009, studied fine art did painting there but it wasn't really I wasn't really spending enough time on my practice it was kind of trying bits and pieces here and there trying still life trying trying this technique that technique so it wasn't really consistent dedicated time and plus it's worth living away from home for the first time in yeah. in a long time so you kind of you you kind of lose your mind a bit you go going out all the time and you're kind of experiencing living as a as a young person in a different city so this work kind of suffered slightly, but it was only after that point then as a process of working full time and then I shifted to doing illustration work, then I uh then I, I changed my course because I was like I wasn't really doing enough painting. So I shifted to doing illustration work and the odd kind of commission for a while and then one day I got sick of that and then decided to do a master's around 2017 and then is after through doing that process through having those few years dedicated to that course that I then went on to do what I'm doing now and shifted again back to painting so it's been it's come full circle so to answer the question when did I become an artist I suppose yeah it was always there but it's only in the last few years where it's really I've really worked on it and honed it down and and refined it. Like that's really fascinating because like what kind of inspires you to the masters? Because doing a masters is like a decision, you know. Well, the the masters was more. I was just kind of working a random full time job and working at illustration on the side. But it was really frustratingly because even that that was my focus at the point. I was doing a lot of sort of comic kind of work of. Uh, pen and ink illustration kind of shorthand but it, I was never really getting anywhere because I was only ever doing 
sporadic bits and pieces without the real focus of all the other bits that have to be done. So all the marketing and putting yourself out there and developing the work and then and getting the work in front of the right people, that wasn't really happening. And I was kind of, you know, you go to work and then you come home and you're exhausted. Yeah. And then you go work outside of that. So it's kind of it's hitting a dead end. It's kind of questioned what am I actually doing now? And I thought I'll do a master's and kind of change my situation so I can that can be my main focus because the the, the day job took over from the yeah. masters. Yeah, uh, not the masters from from my work. So the MA was a way to to get out of that routine and gave me the focus. I I naively thought that that would give me the the knowledge to to put that into being to put my practice into being uh into a commercial context yeah. but um but actually it was all academic really so it was it was not what i thought <laughs> yeah yeah because that's a question i wanted to ask you was like the idea of like how was your experience during the masters because it was particularly because it was like you know near the pandemic especially uh, So the masters it was it was great because it gave me a couple of years to fully work on my practice and really hone in on what I was doing and give you that focus time which I didn't have at all before before that point and it also meant I was surrounded by other people that were illustrators working professionally in their own right and they they had careers and some of them had tutored jobs in and around the industry so having that input plus having the tutors there who'd who'd been there and done it and, and worked in editorial illustration and advertising, et cetera. That was a really good thing to to have access to and to have that time focused. But it was, um, I'd had to go through that process to realize that the illust- illustration wasn't really the, the career I was looking for, just because it's kind of, it feels like you're kind of fighting for work the whole time. Yeah. And it is quite, well, I guess it's all quite intense, but it seemed particularly intense because you had to have someone to approve your work. So that's interesting for me because it gives me the kind of thoughts that that maybe we need to create somehow, whether that's through the education system or otherwise, like time for people to create. I think the one thing good thing about the pandemic is that it gave people time. Like people have the time mm. to sit down and create. And I think the environment in which you create as well is super important because university is the one good thing about our um art courses is that you are surrounded by hopefully people who are like-minded so therefore like Mm. the creative environment is good and that means you're kind of you're encouraged and you're kind of pushed to be creative and try new things and and learn whereas you don't really have as you said like outside in the real world when you have a nine-to-five that you can't really do that in the same way you can't have that kind of incubation in the same way um that's a really good point that you've raised i was just thinking about like we should figure out what's the week but it'd be cool to figure out a way to do it that we can allow artists. I guess residency is a, a good idea, where people are given the time to create work without the hassle of having to think about, I guess, real life. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the residency thing is an interesting one. Something I I did apply to something in my hometown in Cheltenham, uh, but just narrowly missed out by about three three places. But I think having, yeah, taking yourself out of that nine to five kind of routine, I know it's easier said than done because a lot of people, that's mm. not an option, um, especially if you, you know, from a, 
a background or you're not particularly well off or like you know there's you haven't been able to save enough funds to tide you over for a certain period of time then it's a lot more difficult but if you can can find the time to if you can make it work by working part-time then it's definitely a big advantage because then you can spend the extra time developing the practice and also be fresh on those days that you have free rather than having to work around yeah. the day job absolutely i think it's just i think it's just not important because i talk to so many artists that are part-time or so many artists that are full-time and it's it's kind of really interesting because i don't know how much being a full-time artist is always a good option because i think for some people it's just not some people don't want to have to market some people don't want to have to spend you know 24 literally 24 hours a day thinking about the art and marketing it and selling it and creating it and they become like machine like but then other people love that it i think it really depends on the person's character and how much you're willing to to put into the work you're creating and i just wanted to ask you about that like idea of of kind of all the different hats you have to wear outside of just creating the work oh yeah so that being a full-time artist yeah. is not not something I'm doing at the moment. It's something that I definitely do want to do or want yeah. that to happen at some point, uh, whenever that may be. But I think, yeah, you're right. There's the the actual making the art is just a small percentage. It's probably maybe forty percent of what is actually involved, or maybe less, because you've got to market the work yourself. You've got to get it in front of the right people. If you're exhibiting then that takes a lot of time and preparation and yeah and effort to do and then you're doing a podcast if you have a podcast or you have a youtube channel with videos then you've got yeah. to account for making all of that content and doing it to the best of your ability which can take a really long time as i found out to actually understand and develop something that's actually ready to to form a starting point for that channel which so it's not like just go into something straight away and then it's it's the finished article and you can hit the ground running is is the lead up to being able to yeah put put it out there which is frustrating thing so it's there's so many so many different factors involved it's um it does feel like you're constantly trying to learn new skills a lot of the time and and it is a real challenge i find because uh it can be quite quite daunting some of the time you just have to sort of take the chance really and uh and try these different avenues i know we haven't got into the subject whatsoever yet because i know it's further on in the conversation but now might be a good time to mention it just because like why not and also these conversations never go in the order that i write them in like because <laughs> i was in i was ruining them by interjecting with a different question later on but let's talk a bit about YouTube and your YouTube channel because it's something you've only recently just started or it's something you're already skating into because I think you raised a good point, like the preparation behind anything, whether it's a podcast, whether it's YouTube, something that we take for granted that we look at and scroll past or just scroll through and just watch. There's so much preparation and there's just so much thought and effort involved. And can you talk about like, you know, your forays into YouTube currently? I know this is very premature, but that's fine. But you know your forays into youtube and kind of like what you've discovered along the way yeah of course uh so the youtube channel was started a couple of months ago but i've had had video backed up for a few months now hmm. and i thought i had a few videos ready to begin with but it, i looked back at them and i was i hated the way i was talking to camera and that's been the biggest challenge was was talking to camera in a way that seems natural and doesn't seem forced or or actually flows in 
in a way that is actually watchable and not really awkward for somebody to watch, which I found is really is a lot hard, harder than you would think because oh, yeah. there's no there's no one giving you any feedback and yeah. you have to overdo everything. You have to like really like when I was talking to cameras, I was this is so over the top, but then you watch it back and it just seems normal, which is bizarre. That's weird. So it's a weird. It's a very different thing. So that's that's taken a really long time. And then technical aspects, such as mainly to do with the audio, have been quite challenging. So oh, yeah. getting the audio to be right and then all the kind of the horrible bits that are left in there, getting rid of those has been quite challenging. And then camera angles. So this this it's just one it's just a small video, but there's so many facets to it. So they've got this massively complex game almost, this puzzle of trying to be an artist and then within that game you've got these miniature games that have many different facets to those so it's kind of like a never en- never ending level of complexity but um but the, the videos themselves have been great because i wanted to get my face in front of the camera and to let people see the person behind the work rather than just seeing here's a painting and there's no context to it you can't hmm. see why that person created that that piece of work or what motivated them to paint something in a certain way or choose a certain subject. So having the YouTube channel is hopefully going to be a way that I can show more of my personality and my work and just make it a more enriching experience for people because they're supporting my work and potentially buying my work. So I feel it's only fair that they should have something back in return. I think that's I just I think there's a lot to think about in terms of like I think again this is really premature but I think with social media there's a lot of expectation to always create content and I think we forget that creating content isn't easy creating even like a reel or a video or whatever it takes a long time it takes a lot of thought and construction and kind of ideas and planning and I think it's kind of it's a factor I don't think a lot of people think about because you have to have you have to have a plan you know, and like what kind of, if you can say, because I don't know how much you've released yet, but can you talk about what kind of videos you're creating? Like what kind of, what like the subject matters and what kind of, are there any videos you are interested in making or want to make? Yeah, of course. So the, so far I've done some videos about why I love plein air painting was what the first one I made, which it wasn't actually planned to be that, but I, it ended up using footage from other videos that didn't work in the beginning. Ah. So it took, it took a while. So it was basically me explaining why plein air painting is at the cornerstone of my practice and and the drive behind actually getting out into the landscape. So that's something that I've looked at. And I've also got ones of, one that I've prepared surfaces and I explain how I've prepared the those particular surfaces for painting. So there's some technical type of videos as well as having some which are more wide reaching for a wider audience that you don't necessarily have to be an artist to appreciate yeah so those those are a few that i've got at the moment but then i would like to i'd like to do a lot of other videos maybe where i go and see exhibitions or interview Mm. other artists at some point i think there's there's a massive potential for uh linking up with other artists especially those that are plein air painters and going out onto a location with them and then potentially interviewing them as well so there's a lot of crossover yeah. that can happen with the video yeah. content as well, which is another massive benefit of of pursuing that. 
that's an absolute great idea. I like that idea a lot, actually, because I kind of feel like planet painting, especially, like, you don't necessarily see the process of it. You hear about it and you see pictures of it, but you don't really understand the process. And it'd be interesting to maybe, yeah, it'd be interesting to capture like the artist's mindset whilst they're outside, whilst they're doing it, or like just to understand why people like stuff because everyone, you know, likes art for a different reason and everyone has their own opinions on art. And um, why do you think art is important to you? So art is important to me because it is the the main thing that I connect to and that actually connects me to the world in a sense mm. that it kind of transcends language for me. It's like if communicate through words and, and writing is just, is just never going to be as good for my perspective. So actually going out and creating something from scratch, you can express things that words can't actually express in the same way. And going out into the landscape, actually being there and feeling the earth beneath your feet and seeing the clouds forming across the hillsides and just paying attention to what's going on around you and, and being consumed by the present moment and forgetting everything else that's going on in your life or sort of jangling thoughts in your head. That's what really emits, connects me to my practice and why the landscape is such a has such a pull for me. So do you think that society undervalues art? I think that society, I, I think that we value art, but we're just not aware how much importance we place upon it. Because everyone listens to music and films, TV, and it's both entertaining and thought-provoking, and those are the things that we all we all do in, in our in our downtime. And we seek those out. We seek out books and experiences that are outside of the day-to-day runnings of our lives. But it seems to be that we kind of take it for granted that those things are already there and. You don't really see that the work or think about the work that goes into actually creating those those finished pieces of art. So I think that there's a there's a bit of a disconnect between the fact that we consume so much of so much art and entertainment in our culture, but it doesn't seem to be particularly valued in terms of in people's perceptions in society. It's not really seen as a a respected career for, for many people. Mm. That may just be my my own perception of it, but it does seem that it's not really taken seriously. It's just a nice extra added on. Yeah, a lot of people like that. And a thing like a nice fluffy fluffy bit that's added on at the end, and then the real the real work is like is a uh, logistical and analytical and very much binary thing where it's yes or no. Whereas the the art people seem to fail to see it, that it's a tangible. A tangible thing even though it generates a lot of income it generates a lot of revenue in terms of the gdp as well what do you think that we can do to make people appreciate art more as a career i think that in order to make, pe- make people uh, appreciate the art as a career perhaps uh, there needs to be more education around the many different facets that art can bring to the bring to society so if you look at sort of graphic design you can look at illustration, all those industries, fashion, etc. And if people saw the numbers and what it actually generates, maybe as like as a economically viable sector, I think that would go a long way. And also probably engaging people and making it more accessible to people because especially in the fine art kind of world, where there's galleries are quite can be quite standoffish, quite austere. Yeah, and if there was more art that was a little bit more lighthearted and more accessible, 
that could be viewed in other contexts outside of galleries, that may help to bridge that gap and make people see it as something that actually has value beyond a, a niche at the top with people that have the money to buy the art. I think you actually raised a really interesting point that I didn't actually think about in terms of like films, music, art. People look at this in their downtime. This is what they do for for like their leisure or for like to rest. I think it's kind of interesting because it's a, it, the way you just said that made me think that's like, an interesting kind of paradox we have where people don't want you to become an artist or a filmmaker because it's not a good career yet they enjoy films and they enjoy art and they enjoy being able to consume these things. And quite religiously so. I think that's actually kind of interesting. It's an interesting perspective that I haven't thought about, actually. And I said that, I'm really thinking about that. Like, that's actually really, really interesting in that the imbalance between, you know, what is considered a quote-unquote good career and a quote-unquote bad career or, or a consistent and stable career versus an unstable career, probably the best way to put it. But I think it's because art is such an unstable career, there's no guarantees. I think that's what turns a lot of people off or worries people when their child is like, I want to be an artist. They're like, oh no, but you're going to be living you know, on the streets. Because the starving artist myth is it's still around, but do you think it's really uh, necessary nowadays? Yeah, the, the, the starving artist kind of cliche of the vision of someone living in a garret somewhere is definitely is still rife in our culture, I think. But I can see why people harbour that view and why they're worried because their children are going to be pursuing this and they, they're worried that they're going to be causing themselves damage in terms of their future prospects because they're sinking all their finances into something which has no guarantee of paying off. It can be a worry, but then there are ways that you can, it doesn't have to financially ruin you, potentially. I mean, it can, you can you can still find a way to to fund your practice and still slowly build up the momentum and also look at avenues where you you can apply your work so it's not like you're just stuck in one particular lane forever you can that's true look at other avenues and and i think more and more the, because the world's moving so fast that you have to look outside of your immediate practice and think about other ways to generate income as well if you're going to be an artist of potentially licensing your images or if you're a musician look at licensing your songs or or gigging there seems to be a lot of live music seems to be the way that most artists make their money now because the returns on streaming are so poor so there's other avenues out there and i think the way because technology technology is moving so quickly there's going to be a need a greater need to move and adapt much faster than maybe another time that's previous over the last few decades I think that's a really good point. The idea of, and it sounds really silly because it's very obvious, but it's still, again, it's not something I've really thought about, or at least kind of thought to talk to other artists about, actually, and this idea of other income streams, or the idea of like branching out to other things. But I think it's because a lot of artists are afraid to create more work for themselves because they've really got enough work creating just their own work. So it can be hard to create, you know, so let's say you're creating your own work and that's what you want to focus on. But instead of doing that, you have to then also do five or six other things. So I think there's kind of, it's a good point, though. I think it's a good thing to think about because I feel like there are always ways you can repurpose your work or repurpose, especially online with content, repurpose content or or think about like a different audience for your work or how you can utilize what you've already created. I, I'm a huge believer in like, look at what you've already done, not what you need to do. Because at the end of the day, like there is going to be 
somewhere in your back catalog of work, something you can use there that will help propel you forward rather than you always creating new stuff all the time. Um, but I think the idea of income streams is actually really important. I think it's something that I should definitely talk to more artists about for sure, actually. Yeah, we said about repurposing the work, I think is a good point because I know when I look at work from a couple of years ago, semi-cringe at some of it and I think oh I don't like that anymore that doesn't represent where I'm at now but to somebody on the outside they don't know who you are for the most part unless sure you have a huge following then they're not really going to think that that's odd that the work has changed they just see something that they like so they may still want to buy into that so it's never wasted and you can repurpose that imagery and put it onto products onto posters or or sell the image to somebody who wants to use it for a particular use. So there's other ways that you can repurpose the imagery or sell the original. You see, there's NFTs as well, which I haven't really gone into, but that's yeah. another a massive area at the moment. So if you understand what's going on with this, I haven't really looked into it much, but there's there's many different avenues where you can repurpose the work. So what is the biggest challenge of being an artist? So the biggest challenge to being an artist, I believe, is is facing yourself every day and looking at all the weaknesses that you have as an individual or the areas that you feel are somewhat lacking. And you know you need to address those problems in order to make your practice viable as a business as well as just the practice of making good work because you have to address those and confront some quite uncomfortable issues that you have. So, for example, with the YouTube, I was, I'm yeah. well aware that when I was talking to camera, that was a problem, and it, it was painful going through that process. It, sh- it took me a couple of hours to just film a five-minute talk, yeah. talking to video, uh, which was just, a, you know, it's painful after a while. And then you get stressed, and it gets harder, and then you have to stop and then and come back. So just... That is one example. I found that that's improved massively. So you, you can you build up the confidence because you you can look back and where you were a few months ago and actually see that you have made some progress in certain areas, particularly with the marketing as well. That's one thing that I've had to look at and address more seriously because it's such a big topic. And I was it was only a few weeks ago that I found out that I was approaching it in completely the wrong way. I was just focused on the product rather than selling the ideas around the work, around yeah. the, around what what it is that I do. And that's just one example. But I think it's to uh it's confronting those those areas of your personality that are somewhat pulling you back and being a hindrance when it's applied to trying to make a career from art. So that's a really, really, really fascinating answer. Because that question, the question of what's the biggest challenge of being an artist is the question I ask to every artist I meet, whether that's in person or whether that's in these interviews. And no one's given me the answer before, which is really, really interesting because it's such a, not I've got to keep saying good point throughout this whole episode, but it's actually rich, such a good point in terms of like, you're the one creating your work. So you're the one who has, so the impetus is on you. Like if the work gets done, it's because you did it. If the work doesn't get done, it's because you didn't do it. And like, that's a, I just think that's a really, 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 really good point to think about the idea of like you have to think about what it is that you can't do to help you know what you can do because what you can't do will show you what you can do or what you can do will show you what you can't do like that balance of like 
understanding yourself and where you're at the skill wise i think that's really clever and i actually think a lot of artists lack that ability to think like that in the sense of probably sounds terrible to say but in the sense of i know a lot of artists who are like oh i can't use photoshop or i can't do this or i can't do that and oh this is going to hinder me or that's going to hinder me and it's like rather than being like let's be proactive and actually google it let's you know learn these skills they're very hesitant to do that whereas in somebody like yourself you're like okay i don't know how to talk to myself to a camera i don't know how to create a youtube channel i don't know how to film a video let's try it let's go and do it and experience it and then make a decision whether it's right or wrong i think that's actually what's going to separate you from a lot of artists in terms of your willingness to do things because that means you'll apply that logic to anything you do so if you apply if you say residency and it's like it might not quite align with your practice you'll probably go for it anyway but okay why not let's see because then you know you can fit into that mold i like that i like that spirit i think that's a really good spirit to have yeah i think there's nothing to lose really in in Mm. taking that approach because worst case you're going to be where you were before but at least you tried to improve on those skills so you're advancing your knowledge and your skills so it may not be where you want it to be but you've set something in motion, you've taken action. So that builds up your confidence around areas that you believe that you're lacking in. But it may just be because you haven't dedicated enough time to those things because you've been spending so long on creating a work and never really paying attention to those things. Hey, because some of them may you may find they're boring, yeah. but they're still relevant to actually advancing your practice in a commercial context. So it's uh, it's. I don't think there's anything to lose by by doing that and taking that approach and having that bravery to actually look in the mirror and and be really critical of yourself because I f- I think that self reflection is probably the most important thing that you can do as an artist and actually address those uncomfortable truths that we all we all know that we're lacking in certain areas but we kind of just hide behind things that we're good at to make us feel better rather than spending the time on marketing on sales because we know that we are so far behind where we need to actually be but by just taking those small steps to get there then you actually think oh i can do that so i can logically i can apply it to something else okay so let's get into your work so can you please describe your work with those who may not have seen it before yeah of course so my my practice is based on the landscape so everything i do starts its life by me venturing out into the landscape and painting what's called en plein air which is outdoor painting actually in a live environment and the paintings themselves are created by paying attention to the present moment that i'm in and trying to remove as much conscious thought as possible of actually being somewhere and instead just paying attention to my senses and what's around me and letting that guide the process of making the paintings rather than being too contrived over the structure. So the way that I express that is through bold colour choices and painting with a thick impasto with oil paint, so laying down the marks in a very direct manner that's very luscious and celebrates the materiality of the paint in a way that you can't really get with a lot of other mediums so that aspect of using the oil paint itself the physicality of the oil paint is really important in my work and there's a level of ambiguity in the work where 
I leave some of the ground colour that is laid on first to show through. And the reason I do that is because I want the the viewer, when they look at it, to actually be able to impart their own meaning in there and have their own view of what it actually looks like. So it's not like I'm depicting a scene itself. It's more that I'm depicting the moment of actually being somewhere rather than the place itself. And so there's a pool that people can latch onto and then they can impart their own meaning and it can look like someone that somewhere that means something to them or gives them a certain feeling. So that's the reason why I create it is to have that calmness of mind, that sort of peace of mind of actually being present, creating a piece of art and nothing else really mattering. But then when it's handed over to them, they're able to impart their own meaning. So that's how I would describe my work. So how did you... I know this isn't a question on the list, I apologize. But how did you get to come to the idea of plein air painting and the idea of just the idea of going out into that landscape? Because I think that, as you said, like that's a vital part of your practice, but it's also a very particular choice, if you see what I mean. Like it's not something that every artist does, and it's not something that you have to do to create a great painting. And I'm just kind of curious, like, how did you discover that? And how did you know, like, oh, this is what I want to do? So Discovering it was, if I take it back to the beginning, it was because I'd finished the Masters, the MMA in illustration, which is very different to what I was doing now. I was looking yeah. at political satire and, and drawing in, in pen and ink in a very cartoonish type of caricature type manner. So I switched completely because I was I, I hit a brick wall with my practice and I was really thinking... I don't know if I'm cut out for actually doing illustration work as a career, as a commercial illustrator fighting for jobs all the time. And I wanted to create something that I had full control of Mm. uh, where I was driving the car in effect. And I wasn't waiting for somebody else to give me the green light over whether I could or couldn't have a job to, to illustrate for a particular reason. So I decided on landscape painting purely at the time really because i live in the cotswolds i live in cheltenham and the hills around here there's some stunning scenery around this particular area and it seems to make total sense to go back to that and i wanted to change something challenge myself and do something which i had painted before but i hadn't really developed a practice so i saw it as an opportunity to to shift my focus and just go and do something completely different because I was felt like I was hitting a brick wall with the with yeah. the work, and I wasn't. It wasn't really, it wasn't really saying anything or 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 getting me anywhere. And I was just running out of ideas and motivation for actually doing that kind of work. So I decided to take on this new challenge of painting out on the landscape and myself, along with um, my friend Colin Clark, who was on on the masters, who's an artist and illustrator we decided to go out painting. We went out every week for, for well over a year, almost. Sometimes it was two or three times a week during the summer. Uh-huh. So we were continually working at uh, painting. And our first attempts were were terrible. We we didn't know what we were doing. It was, it was so much harder because there's the wind, there's the rain, the easel flies yeah. off. One, one time my easel fell over and stripped one of the bolts. And it, everything went everywhere so there was a a period where it was it was really difficult but then it was only after a couple of sessions I was actually hooked on the experience of doing it because 
it was unlike any application of a creative practice I'd ever taken part in because you were in a live environment and you start to notice more and more about your surroundings as you were out there. So you'd notice how the colours would change throughout the year, how the quality of light would change and the general sense of a particular place would change throughout the year. It's particularly if it went back to a certain location. It's never the same. It's different every single day, which is quite an interesting way of thinking about the places we actually inhabit as well, because then we think that you know somewhere, but you actually go back to that place and it's not, it's the same landscape, but it's, it's shifted. It has a different feel to it than it did the day before and different times a year it appears in a different way. And the more that I've gone out and engaged with the process of painting out in the landscape, the more I've been aware of that shift and how it's influenced my work and you can see the progression in the work and how it's linking to how I'm actually thinking about the landscape so I was hooked from early on and then as I started to develop my skills and get better and more efficient at producing work that's just snowballed and now I can't get enough of it and if I could I'd make every single painting entirely outdoors and hopefully one day that will be the case but everything starts its life by actually venturing out and being in a location that's the constant that's throughout my entire practice so i think it's actually kind of funny because you said it's about control which i think is really funny because the one thing you don't have control of is the weather and the environment Mm -hmm. yeah it's uh (laughs) it's a challenge and I'd, i'd recommend anyone to actually go out and, and work outdoors because of the benefits it can give to you in terms of just slowing down your thinking, how you're processing your work and how you interact with the work. It massively changes when you're actually out there. And that's what I've, that's been my experience as well. Do you think though that people can tell, like just like everyday average viewers of art, or just, I guess, the general public. But do you think people can tell if an image has been created outdoors or has been created from a photograph? I really don't know if they can tell. I I can definitely tell that there's a difference because there's something about the marks, the energy and the vitality they have that you, you just can't replicate that in the studio. But I don't know if someone who's just a member of the public, if they would be able to see that difference. But I think, I think there's definitely something about the work that, there's an intangible quality to it when when it's been made outdoors it has a certain energy to it it has has a life to it that you it's just never the same but i'm not sure if that's obvious to other people if it's just because i was there making the work that i see that but i i don't think it's just me i think there is a quality in there but i'm not sure if it's just other artists or other painters that see it or if it is actually universal experience where people perceive it differently so why are you drawn to landscapes what is it about the idea of painting landscapes that fascinates you why don't you for instance paint people so landscapes seems to me to be the ultimate in capturing something that's alive and has energy to it because everything you see is actually is a living organism there's trees, there's grass. You see the winds moving across the hillside and the shadows. And it's continually changing all the time. Whereas if you're in a studio, if you're doing a portrait, 
it's the person is alive, but they're still there. They're lit from a particular angle. It's a very controlled environment by and large, unless you're painting someone out on the street where the weather's changing. So it's because of that life and that, that ever-changing quality and the fact you can never really capture fully what the experience is actually like unless you abstract what you're seeing and you become less literal and you instead interpret in a more intuitive manner than trying to render something and make it appear like what you're actually seeing with your eyes so it's because it's alive and because it has the energy and have all the changes of the of the weather that's what draws me to it that's a really interesting way of putting it because you're right like places have characters i think we forget that because we're so used to kind of going you know here and there in our day-to-day lives we don't really take the time to look at places or look at the space in which we occupy i mean it's kind of funny because you said the Cotswolds the Cotswolds is a beautiful place i've never been but i really want to go and it's fun because it's like we always take the landscape for granted because there's places we always want to escape to you know everybody wants to go out in nature because nature does wonders for you so it's kind of interesting that you're trying to document the ever-changing process of the world around us, particularly the like nature and the landscape, particularly like scenic landscapes as well. Um, but I'm kind of curious because you choose to do it in a static way through painting, because the final image is one static object. Yeah, that's true. So it's in some senses it is static, but I've been thinking about it more and more. And the fact that I've been using such a thick impasto, I've never used to paint in that manner it was quite flat before it was more faithful to the actual scene it was more of depicting a place rather than actually the feeling of being somewhere and now it's gone the other way so it's more about the emotive connection I have to a particular place and the texture that I use with the thick impasto actually catches the light throughout the day so Mm. if it's in someone's room as the sun moves across and goes through the window, it casts shadows across the painting. So it, it can make it more matte oh. or change the quality of the paint. So there's actual shadows that are across there. And it's almost like the painting itself does embody in some way the landscape because it is a static object, but it also has the ability to change depending on the light. That is so clever. <laughs> Like that's so clever and that makes like that makes so much sense because I love nothing more and it sounds really stupid but it's the best thing ever to watch it's like when you're on the beach and the a cloud has gone over the sun and when the cloud then moves back from the sun and you get like the line of sun that just kind of trails across I Mm -hmm. love that so this idea of like having a painting which you know effectively does that the shadows move across it as the day sets or the day starts that's such an interesting idea because the whole idea of that picture, the painting, is that it represents the energy of a place, represents the character, represents the constant movement. And you have that constant movement. That's such a clever idea. I'm a huge fan of that. I think that's so cool. That's so cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it wasn't, it initially wasn't really an intentional thing, but it's because we had an exhibition. So myself and Art Force, who I'll mention in a bit, is a collective that I'm a part of we had an exhibition and the light was catching the work and because it was laid on so thickly with a palette knife actually gave the appearance of being almost like a mosaic and everything went from being 
glossy and luscious to being matte and flattened and more like a rock face. So there is actually an interplay between the work and the landscape itself, which is more than just the image. It's the physical object becomes has a, a mirroring of the landscape, which is this nice serendipitous aspect to the work. Yeah, and it's actually really interesting because as you said earlier, like you like the ambiguity. So somebody might look at your work and think it is like a rock face, or somebody might look at it and think it's like an ocean, or they might look at it and think it's a sky. Like the ambiguity of like it can be different things to different people because different people are going to look at it through different perspectives. Like that's really kind of that's really fascinating actually, because it just means that it opens up the possibilities of who's going to interact with that work. Because like what I like about your work and what you've done is that you've created something that you're very passionate about, that you really enjoy, but it's also universal and accessible to people. And I think universality, if that's the right word, I think that's kind of the key to great art because you want to create art that is truthful to you and that you enjoy making, but it's also accessible to people. Because I think sometimes artists make work that is so personal or it's so um, kind of caught up with what they're aligned with that it's kind of narrower if that makes sense, like other people can't necessarily understand it because it's about maybe like a very specific memory of theirs, for instance. Whereas in someone like yourself who creates work that is very open, that invites everybody in, that invites, you know, some kind of discussion or questioning of what this is. I think that's extremely clever. And it's, I think it's, it's a really, really good decision on your part. Yeah, I, th- I think the the universal aspect is is really important. And I, I want the work to be meaningful to as many people as possible. So once I make that, it's in my view, I, once I've made the piece of work, once I've made a painting, it goes on to somebody else and then it's it's theirs. It's, it's their meaning on the painting. So I don't really think that we get to control how people view our work. We do to a certain extent, but it's, it's not really up to us that how people view it or see it. And when I'm making the work, it's not an intellectual activity. It's, it's purely a, an emotive type of mode of working. And I think by latching into that fact that I'm trying to remove as much conscious thought as possible, as much as I possibly can, then it latches onto something which is more human in a way that is more universal because I'm trying to get rid of any as much contrivance as I possibly can and and just latch on to trying to actually connect to what I'm doing and becomes about the making of the art rather than the finished product itself. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, the idea of like, is it for you, like, do you prefer the process of creating or the final result of creating? So I'd say definitely the process is more engaging to myself because whenever I getting into the trap of thinking about the painting is it going to work is like i hope this is better than the last one i made and those kind of thoughts then it invariably it it destroys something of the work and the work itself is never is never what i want it to be so rather than trying to have a really restricted view of what the work is going to be and planning it meticulously and then execute the plan i always find that no matter how much planning I do, it never turns out to be the way that I think it's going to be. So rather than do that, I'd rather do some planning, yes, certain times, but I'd rather make the work and engage as much as I possibly can with the work because 
at the end of the day that's that's why we're creating art in the first place is is the the process itself rather than the actual the outcome because if it was just the outcome then there would be no satisfaction in in getting to the point where it becomes a living for us so it has to be it has to, to fuel you and, and and give you satisfaction along the way and painting for me is much more important to paint for the actual process of making the work in the first place and i find that's when i make best work is when i actually focus on making the work and being as present as i possibly can in that process so you already said that you use your hometown as inspiration for your paintings but what do you look for in a location so the location varies depending on where i'm at but it has to be something that leaps out at me from the beginning so it has to pique my interest and i try not to have too many contrived ideas about what it's going to be but yeah. i was at a place called Hairsfield Beacon last week and there was the River Seven and it was just this slice of the river where the sunlight was hitting it. So it could be something as simple as the way that the light is hitting a tree or or a body of water like this, the River Seven and then whatever panel, whatever size or composition I have with me, then that that goes and, and fits that particular slice of the landscape that I've found has piqued my interest. So I go through phases of looking at being obsessed with certain things. I was obsessed with horizons for a while and the kind of the transition between the land and the sky. And then it was kind of like the the, un, the known and the unknown. And there was a, there's a nice kind of symbolic link between the land and the sky. And the more I thought about it, I realized that that's, that actually makes sense and it has a deeper meaning than just here's a here's a horizon line. So yeah. like the unknown, a transition between what's going on here and then the future. And the horizon itself represents going into the unknown and a transformation from one state into another, into where we are now and then where we actually want to be. So there's always then there's always those kind of ideas that run through the work. But it has to be something that grabs me and grabs my attention. But I try not to be too contrived with what it is. I just know when I see it that it that that's the thing I've got. And I don't I can't really rationalize what it is that draws me to something, but I just know that there's something in there. And then sometimes there's nothing at all. And you just kind of you you just go and find somewhere to paint because you've made the journey and you, you need to paint something. And it's rare that those those paintings actually work out, but then they may lead you somewhere else and they may provide ideas for other other painting trips where you actually apply a certain composition to something else so it's never really a wasted wasted trip but in terms of looking for looking for subject matter i try not to be too contrived of it it just has to it has to say something to me it has to communicate something to me so having said that is there any particular place you'd be interested in creating work based off uh, there's certain locations, yeah, for sure. I'd uh, I'd love to go to Scotland and paint up there because of the uh, the huge expanse that is up there, and the way that the clouds move across the the gorse and the moorland, and the colours are so different in Scotland as well from when I've when I've been there. Um, 
so I definitely would like to go there and I'd love to paint some coast as well because I've never actually painted any sea seascapes and I've got some massive panoramic panels which would be perfect for that so maybe uh-huh. a trip down to Cornwall or Devon oh absolutely Cornwall can't go wrong with Cornwall yeah so so those those two places and and then possibly somewhere abroad as well so maybe somewhere in Europe Spain on the on the cards yeah Spain is is pretty spectacular particularly in um around Andalusia and there was a place we went to I went with my brother on a road trip there to Arroyo Frio which was in Cazorla National Park and that was stunning as well so look, somewhere like that would be would be great to go and paint because one thing I actually didn't put on this list but now we're talking about it I just thought like it's kind of interesting because your work is based in the UK and do you think that is obvious from looking at your work do you think people can see that it's the UK it's funny you mention that because someone someone I spoke to a few weeks ago said that they could tell even it didn't look like the Cotswolds it said there's something about the color palette that reminded them oh. of this area so there's something that has translated there from the choices of the color I'm using that's just because I'm observing the color and finding a an appropriate link to what I'm seeing. But I don't know if someone outside the UK would be able to tell that it's from the UK, other than knowing that I'm as an artist based here. I really don't know. I think there must be something something in the work that does link it to the UK because so much of it is made outdoors. So there has to be some influence in there, but I don't really know unless I was to ask somebody. So I've taken a load of notes because you're saying a lot of things. I'm like, these are really interesting things you're saying. I need to write these down because I'm going to be thinking about these for a while. Because the idea of color palettes in place, I've never thought about that before. And that's really fascinating because I went to Spain last year um, and I shot those images. And the images that I've shot in Spain are so different from what I've shot here in the UK in terms of just the colors and just the kind of the general vibe. I hate the word, but the general vibe with the images. And it's kind of, that's a really interesting idea if you were to create like, this is just off record but like just like a small like obviously money depending mm. and time depending but like an international series of like maybe like 10 images 10 to 12 images all mm-hmm. created in like a different country and like how they would vastly differ like that could be really interesting yeah i definitely think there would be a difference because you're not only are you influenced by the the place itself but your experience of being there is influencing so it probably does change your outlook in some small way because you're in a different culture and it's a different pace of life and it's not it's not the day-to-day life that you're used to so i imagine that does seep into the way you're working but it'd be interesting to yeah to make a to make a process so there's an interesting thing of how your environment changes your actual practice Hmm. because i think you know it's all it's all linked in some way so i think it's it can't help but actually change the way that you work oh absolutely because i think both for the, the the geography of where you are in terms of the opportunities you're you're able to get but also the idea of like you've been raised in a certain place with a certain mentality with a certain outlook and i think that mm-hmm. informs you as a person and therefore that would inform your work so it's kind of i'm always really curious particularly here in the uk because i talk to a fair few UK british artists but I'm always really interested in how people's upbringing have influenced their work. And actually, as a question, don't think I put on this list, but like, how has your upbringing filtered through your work? So, my upbringing has influenced my work 
That's a good one. I don't really know, to be honest. I think it's, it's obviously it's influenced what I'm doing now because I'm painting the landscape and I probably wouldn't be doing that if I was living in a city. I would perhaps look to urban scenes or find a different yeah. kind of angle on my work. It would have a different feel, more, more of an edge in a certain way. But living here has influenced me i suppose because it's always been a constant and the cotswolds has been a constant for most of my life other than living in cardiff for three years so i think that that has had an impact but i think that the the fact that i went away and i i kind of developed a shorthand way of working through the illustration work and through doing independent comics as well for a while i developed a shorthand and that that experience has actually influenced the work because I paint in a way that is it's a shorthand way of painting in, in some senses because it's broken down into the most essential elements rather than trying to depict something and render something accurately or breaking it down into just a few marks and getting used to that way of working has has influenced the work that makes a lot of sense and i think it's it's kind of interesting because obviously you live somewhere that's not a city you live somewhere that has like a lot of nature and has a lot of kind of peace to it which is very very interesting because it's like your view of the world is completely different because obviously you haven't grown up in a city and it's kind of interesting because you've been to a city you've lived in a city and then you came back out of that i think that's given you a really interesting perspective on both parts of, of the world i think not everybody gets the chance to go and live in more of a kind of natural environment and i think that's kind of it gives you a very very interesting and probably unique perspective as an artist because you can create work that speaks to people but isn't necessarily about what's around them every day like that's very interesting to me because i don't know we look at nature as escapism and it's like but that's just your normal like there's an interesting Mm -hmm. kind of i don't know like consideration there i don't know that's really interesting to me yeah, I think there's there's definitely an influence there, and having the both it does change your outlook because the pace of life is is different. Even though it's, mm-hmm. good, it's Cardiff is not a massive city, but it's still a lot busier than Cheltenham is, and the fact that I was a lot younger then as well. So mm-hmm. I was nineteen, so at the very early part of my twenties in Cardiff. So it's it's a different experience because of going out clubbing and all that kind of stuff and not drinking all the time and not doing enough work. Yeah. <laughs> I should do as I shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. So it it that had an influence. And also the live music that was going on in Cardiff at the time has had some some really good live music. And it was just and being in a different country, there's Wales, it had Welsh speakers, so there was a different kind of cultural background there as well, even though it's not very far away. But it's definitely distinct from here as its own character. And I think that does find its way into what you're doing. Because those are your influences and the people you hang around with are different. And they've got different outlooks. So that has a huge influence as well. The the circle of friends you help you have and people oh, yeah. that you're actually surrounded with. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I feel like you always have to choose your associates very carefully. I feel like people influence you more than you realize um in my opinion i feel like people influence you more than you realize so yeah i do agree with that yeah that's definitely true definitely true (laughs) so 
is creating an image that is beautiful important to you? Or does your work need to be deeper than just being like a nice looking image? Having something that's a nice looking image is important to a certain extent because if it doesn't have some interest or some aesthetic value, then I don't think anyone's going to want to invest in it or to purchase the work or engage with the work. But actually creating something that's beautiful is not the the main focus when I'm creating a painting. It's more trying to express something about what I'm experiencing in a way that is accurate and is meaningful to myself, where I'm trying to, to blank out my mind and, and not make the choices I make overly conscious or overly contrived or or tediously thought about in a way that is is unconducive to making good work. So if I'm just overly concerned about the technical aspects, then invariably the work falls down. It doesn't it doesn't have the impact that I'm looking for. Whereas if I focus on actually being present in the moment and looking outwards and changing the focus from being self-conscious of what I'm doing to looking out at the landscape to turn my focus outwards then the the work flows much better and it makes a better results so it's more about latching on to the act of being in the moment to drive the work rather than actually looking to make something that's beautiful so there's it has to be that way around for me because if i try to make something that that looks good or that has an impact it doesn't have the effect the same effect as if i just try to focus on actually engaging with what i'm doing and just trying to remove all the technical aspects and not worry about the technique and just let that happen so that may sound too vague but no no that makes sense and i'm, I'm kind of actually just curious because you said because that makes me think about something you said earlier about the idea of like if you were to create images of like urban environments it might have more of an edge and this idea of like do you think that's a problem with landscape paintings that people try to make an image that looks too perfect that looks almost too lifelike yeah i think there's there's definitely a school of painting which which is kind of looking to recreate the scene and make it naturalistic and as close to what's seen as possible and there's a place for that kind of work but personally it doesn't really it doesn't really do much for me when I see something that it's there's technically yes it's impressive and the artist that created that work obviously has a lot of skill and they're able to translate that and they're very accomplished at what they do but I find some of that work sometimes it does lack a little bit of soul to it and it doesn't really have a personal link in there but i find that that's mainly the case of sort of photorealist work where i just yeah. i just don't really i don't really understand why you would want to recreate something that looks exactly like a photo when you could just take a photograph other mm. than just showing off the skill level that you have which obviously is much far above what i'd ever be able to do but it's just it seems to be a waste to me to to have all that skill and then forget the art part and your own personal connection to the work and your own sort of flair on the work and 
and adapting it and changing it and using your using your other skills in the in terms of presenting something to convey a particular message or communicate something rather than just a matter of fact showing something for what it is yeah the reason i asked is because your work is very much on the abstract side of things so i'm kind of curious like what are your thoughts on the way abstract art is seen like is it seen as like a gimmick like do you think that abstract art has more uh, potential than like representational art I, I think some people see it as a gimmick because they don't really understand what it means. There's a lot of people, they judge a, a piece of art, whether it it looks or conveys something in reality. So they recognize something that's that's in the world and therefore, oh, it's a good piece of art. Whereas abstract art that is seen as a gimmick by some, but then it can actually do things that representational art can't do. And often it can convey more emotion a lot of the time than representational work because there is the ambiguity to move into it. It's more about simplicity of color and form and these kind of these intangible type of things where if you look at a portrait, yeah, portraits can be incredibly moving, especially if you look at Rembrandt's work or or a, a sergeant painting, for example. They're they're powerful images, but they they don't allow for the same level of attention from somebody looking at them to impart their own meaning into them because they're showing you what they are. Whereas with the abstract work, it's ambiguous and you are imparting your own meaning in a way which is more obvious. So I think I think that is changing though with the gimmick slightly because there is a move towards people buying more abstract art, I think. Especially with the move in, ter- in terms of people buying abstract art for interior design and yeah. for houses, particularly some modern houses that have massive wall space. A lot of abstract arts tends to be quite big in size, I've found. Um, I don't know if it's just because of the impact that it has or if it's because it's made for a market that people have big houses and they want abstract art to go with their sofa, which is not not the kind of work that I would want to do, but it's um it's one aspect of abstract art. I was gonna say I think it's because abstract art is quite neutral in the sense of like because it's not about one thing or another, the downfall of abstract art is that it takes the right viewer to ask those questions or the right person to want to ask those questions. I think with like a skillfully rendered landscape, like you see that and you understand what it is. And you're like, this is an amazing image, and you might look closer at the details, but that's the that's the only communication you'll have with that piece. That'll be it. It'll be like, oh, this is a nice painting. But I think with the abstracts, you have, yeah, I think the abstracts have a sliding scale of like, you either just walk straight past them and ignore them, or you actually pay attention to them and ask questions. And I'm kind of curious, actually, what you said that, and the idea of like, how important is it for you to have context to your work because it's abstract? So the context for me is really about that it's not the the landscape itself but the way that the landscape is a way in for myself to be present and focused and engaged with openness to experience and you could argue that there's other forms of art that do that and i'm potentially going to be going into 
possibly creating some portraits or some abstract work because of it's something I want to do, as well as the landscape painting and using that link of being present in the in that moment and letting the experience of being observant and changing focus from being self-conscious to looking outside and observing and applying that to different a different mode of working in regards to the context of Rama work I think that that is the that's the context that is is key really to 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 showcase in the work is that I was actually involved with the experience of making the work but I didn't try to depict something accurately or actually render it in a way that resembles the thing itself but it it through making it the viewer can then impart their own meaning so the context is is the experience of making it in order to elicit an emotive response but then that is separate from what actually the viewer gets from it so in order for the viewer to have an emotive response i myself must have an emotive response to making the work so i've got to be invested in it and it doesn't really matter if the person fully understands that hmm. but i feel that there's something in actually being aware of that myself and knowing that that's where the place i need to get to to make my best work is to get into that for want of a better word that sort of flow state that people talk about where everything is coming naturally and you're not having to think too much about what you're doing but there's something about reaching that place that translate and translates and is conveyed in the work that you can't really replicate but somebody will will be able to see that when they view it so it has to have that process it has to i have to engage it with with the work on that kind of level I think it's really fascinating because talking to you about your work gives me a very different perspective on it than it would me just seeing it online. And I'm kind of like, I'm kind of curious if you feel that because your work is very ambiguous, like, do you feel like you need to, like you have to state what it's about? Or is it just a case of like, you'd rather just not and let people figure it out by themselves? So it's, it's interesting you say this because I was wondering about titling my work recently and whether it's necessary for me to actually say where somewhere is or reference the place in the name of the work because the name of a painting or piece of artwork has a massive implications to the way that it's viewed. Of course. So I'm thinking that I'm going to be moving away from actually saying what the place is mm. and instead maybe referencing the particular feeling that I had when I was making that work. Oh, yeah. Good idea. And then someone can actually read into it in a way that is rather than being sort of I want a picture of a particular scene because I live near this place it's more oh, I can impart my own meaning on this this reminds you of somewhere for example like this is where I met my wife on this particular path on this walk or something similar to that there's there's some link in there that that draws them in and I think what you were saying earlier about the artwork being universal that links to the work having that universal pull in a more obvious way and maybe a more powerful way than just saying this is the place do you like it whereas it's like oh what's what's that about and then give it an emotive title that that conjures something in the mind of the person viewing it or give it like a bizarre title 
yeah, or nonsensical title that has nothing to do with the painting is another approach. Because one thing I really love is I love titles. I think titles of work are so fascinating because they mean so much. They mean nothing at all. It's, it's absolutely great. I think there's something really fascinating about titles. And I think we don't talk about that enough as artists in terms of like, you know, you've created something, but how is that going to be viewed in the world by what you put underneath it? You know, or like put yeah, next to it in a caption. Like we don't think about that. Like captioning work and titling work is almost an art form in itself because that will change the perspective and how people see it and how people read it and how people are, you know, even interested in it. And I think that's, you know, and it's funny because you create work that's ambiguous. Like you want to give the the viewer like a hint, but you also don't want to give them everything. So they're trying to find that balance yourself as an artist trying to touch your own work is it's so tricky i think we don't talk about how hard titling is actually yeah it's not it's definitely not easy because i end up going through the same same titles i have to check that i'm not <laughs> using a title i used a year ago and it's like a cliche title so mm. like wood's edge or something like that so i try to avoid those cliche titles there's only so many titles you can come up with that reference the landscape that are ambiguous that don't repeat themselves or don't appear to be a cliched title that you've seen a million times it's yeah it's 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 difficult so i think maybe i need to need to move towards more ambiguous titles or titles that don't directly reference the landscape but then reference my experience of being in the landscape i've always found that a great way to find titles or like ideas and thoughts of titles is to read like read and save like captions or save sentences that really inspire you and then take something from that sentence to make that into a title. Okay, it's an interesting, interesting technique to get there. Yeah, since I'll go through the dictionary and look at really interesting words because that dictionary is great. Words are just fascinating. That's also that idea as well. <laughs> yeah, dictionary, thesaurus, anything like that would be good port of call. Definitely. So yeah, I need to uh, take that on board. Really. <laughs> <laughs> just, uh, just what I like to do when I like, when I'm trying to think of titles or series names of series or whatever. It's like. I feel like the first thing you do is you ask yourself how you feel. I feel like that's the impetus of a lot of work is you ask yourself how you feel and then go from there. And because your work is very intuitive, I think thinking about how you're feeling and thinking about like how, as you said, like ambiguous titles are about more about the feeling you had. I think that's a great idea because that kind of brings together our point of your work being about expressing feeling, expressing the character, expressing like the you know, things you can't actually really draw or paint. So that's kind of, I think that's a great idea personally. Yeah. That's I think you've cemented that in my mind now. So I'm going to go <laughs> down that direction with the the naming conventions from now on. I think it'd be more effective in, in conveying the actual message of the work. So I'm very curious about the idea of like repetition in your work. So like, how do you evolve as an artist and not feel like you're painting the same That concludes the first part of my conversation with painter Steve Roberts. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions or comments about it, please send me an email at theflyingfruitbowl at gmail.com and get in touch via social media sites such as Instagram and Twitter. The Flying Fruit Bowl podcast can be found on a variety of sites such as Spotify, YouTube or Apple Music. If you like the show, please consider rating, reviewing, sharing or subscribing on any of these platforms to help spread the word. Also, please don't forget to check out theflyingfruitball.co.uk for daily inspiration. If you're a creative, please get in touch for a chance for future interviews. 
Additionally, we now also have a Patreon if you'd like to support the platform further. Tears start from £1 and more information can be found over at patreon.com forward slash theflyingfruitball. Furthermore, we now also have a PayPal if these donations are not your thing. I'll leave a link to our PayPal in the show notes. Once again, thank you very much for listening to this episode today. Until next time folks, please stay safe.